the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Number 3030, additional condition. The following program is Spa Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. These women are confronted with the startling, stunning reality that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. He is not here. He's gone ahead of you. He'll see you in Galilee. Now, the import and the implication of that's massive. This is a glorious discovery. Because you see, the Christian faith is a religion of resurrection. build monuments to great leaders and erect tombstones for loved ones, but the greatest man to ever live has no final resting place. That's because he lives. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy offers us fresh insight for resurrection faith from the Gospel of Mark. We're revisiting this popular sermon from the Essential Jesus series because knowing and understanding who Jesus is will change our lives. Hear the complete series online at ktt.org. Here's Philip with a message called, It's a New Day. I want to speak on the subject, it's a new day. Because here we're at Mark's telling of the resurrection story. This is the resolution of his gospel by showing that Jesus has been declared the Son of God by means of the resurrection, reminding us that indeed Christianity at its heart is a religion of resurrection. Now there are several things in this story I don't want you to miss, things that are both theologically helpful and practically applicable. Number one, what I call the devotion. Not going to spend a lot of time here, but let's pick up in verse 1. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Siloam, bought spices and they came that they might anoint him. It was very early in the morning. It was the first day of the week, and they came to the tomb when the sun was risen. Here we're confronted with the devotion of these two women. Now, if you read Matthew and Luke and John, you'll realize there were more than these two women who came to the tomb early that morning. But for some reason, Mark has selected them. And Mark is showing them to be women who have a strong desire to anoint the body of the Lord Jesus Christ with spices. They want to do this in an act of devotion, as an expression of their undying love for him. Even after Jesus is now being buried for three days, they want to express their deep love for the Lord Jesus. And I like what R. Kent Hughes says about this. The impulse came from great love because the lapse of time and the Middle Eastern heat would assure that the body was already in decay. Their action would be of no utility to their dead master, but it was what their heart needed. It's a wonderful little thought. In practical terms, there was no real purpose to it. But for them, it must take place because their heart, their devotion, their love for him made it necessary. 
And I, as I say, I don't want to spend a lot of time, but I do want to be challenged by that. Is our love for the Lord Jesus Christ like that? Is it over the top? Is it extravagant? There's nothing you won't do. You don't really sit down and work out the outcome. You just make an attempt like they did. Who's going to move the stone away? I don't know, but let's get up there and try it because we love him. So that's the devotion. Secondly, the day. Verse 2. So the women come. They had bought spices. They want to come and anoint him in an act of devotion. Then we read in verse 2, very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. So their arrival is noted, time-logged for us. It's early in the morning, and it's the first day of the week. It's Sunday. And all the other gospels agree that that's the timing of the discovery of Jesus' resurrection. It's the big, bold day in redemptive history. It's the day victory was announced over death, hell, by Jesus Christ. But here's the thing you need to understand. It's more than a chronological marker, okay? The point of this text is more than saying, you know what, this took place on Sunday. No, this is a theological marker. And you're going to see when you get into the book of Acts and into the epistles that this was the day the church gathered to worship. In Acts 20, verse 17, it says, And the disciples came together on the first day of the week to break bread. This is the beginning of a shift. Because just as the Passover was replaced by the Lord's Supper, the Sabbath is replaced by the first day. We don't worship God on the Sabbath. Now, qualify that we worship God every day of the week. But the day that the church gathered together under its leadership to hear the preaching of the Word, to break bread, to fellowship, to stir one another up on the love and good works was a specific day. It was the first day of the week. That pattern is found in the New Testament. You'll find it in extant literature like the Didache and the Epistle of Barnabas and so on and so forth. This is a shift from the Passover to the Lord's Supper, from the Sabbath to the first day of the week. This is a day that the church would hallow and count as special. Look, Think about this. Sunday in this community and across our country is a day when people assemble. You know, it's a day off work. We've still got that Christian heritage, thank God. And our neighbors, even though they don't go to church, well, they can have their own little church somewhere in the sense that they assemble with other people. It's a backyard party. It's a barbecue. It's a day at the beach. It's a soccer game. It's a sports stadium where they go to watch their favorite team. They assemble. Now, as they do that stuff, we should be doing this stuff. We should be assembling together in God's house with God's people, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together to hear the word, break bread, worship the risen Christ and anticipate the new day that's coming. It's a day marked by celebration, congregation, communication. It's a day marked by collection. This is a sermon series in itself. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, what seems to be the context here is the Gentile churches of Philippi and Corinth were raising money to be handed to the apostle when he came to take back to the famished saints in Jerusalem. Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I have given orders to the churches in Galatia, so must you do also. On the first day of the week, let each of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collection when I come. And one would assume that when that took place on any given Sunday, they had collections. Not only for Christians that needed help across the world, but for their own ministry, something akin to like Malachi 3 under the Old Covenant, where the Jew would come to the temple and bring their tithes and offerings into God's storehouse. 
And every Lord's Day, you and I should be setting aside something for God's work and God's people and the mission of the gospel across the world. And then finally, it's a day marked by contemplation. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, such as the manner of some is, so much the more as you see the day approaching. See, it's interesting. When you go to 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18, on the rapture and the snatching away of the church, we're going to be caught up together to be with the Lord in the clouds. So the church, when it assembles on earth, always does it mindful that we're going to assemble in heaven. And there's going to be a new creation someday. And we're going to be part of an eternal state and order authored by Jesus Christ. And that eternal perspective drives us in our choices. In fact, another argument for that would be if they broke bread on the Lord's day, we know from 1 Corinthians 11, part of the Lord's Supper experiences that you only do this until he come. You do it in the light of his near return. Paul Peasley Murray in an excellent sermon in this passage said, Christians need to recover the controlling significance of Sunday. I'm not saying you can't do other stuff beyond going to church and being with God's people. But I don't like the idea of doing other stuff at the expense of church and God's people. Because this is the day the church got together. Our coming together tells the world this is a special day. And if they should ever ask you why it's special, you say, you know, this is the day Jesus rose from the dead. And he can bring new life to you, and he's going to bring a new world to this world. Love the story told by Robert Morgan about seven brothers that lived in a big house. And six went to work, and one stayed home. And while the six worked, the brother that stayed home, well, he cleaned the house. He opened the windows and let fresh air in. He had dinner ready for the brothers when they came home. He made the beds, cleaned the laundry. And this went on for a while, and everybody enjoyed that until one day the six brothers said, You know what? This isn't fair. He gets to stay home and we go to work. And so they sent the seventh brother out to work with them. But the implication was when they came home, the house was cold, musty. Dinner had to be made. Beds had to be cleaned. And after a while, they went back to the old arrangement of the one brother staying at home. Here's what Robert Morgan says by way of application. It's the day of rest and the worship that keeps the other six bright, warm, and nourishing. When we desecrate the Lord's day, we hurt every other day. You see the analogy? The one brother gets to stay home. There's one day that should be different from the other days. And it brings brightness and warmth and nourishment to the rest of the week. That's the devotion and the day. What about the discovery? The discovery, well, verses 3 through 6. This is the discovery of the women that the tomb is empty and it is open. They're asking themselves, how are we going to move this stone? Remember, it's a big one. But when they get there, the stone's already removed. They enter into the tomb. They see an angel on the right side. They're alarmed. He says, don't be alarmed. I believe you're here to see Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. Well, he's not here. He's risen. And you know what? Look at the place where he laid. They had come to honor, in an act of devotion, their dead master but they're confronted with the reality of their living Lord. Now, a little footnote here that I think is very encouraging. Don't want to make too much of it, but I think to slip by it would be criminal. I love the thought that on the road to there, they're going, how are we going to move the stone? How are we going to deal with this difficulty? How are we going to overcome this problem? And when we get there, what does the text say? It says that they looked up and they saw the stone had been rolled away. And I have lived long enough and my faith 
has been strengthened enough through these kind of experiences where the things that I have worried about, thought about, and anticipated, when I got into those situations, the answer had already been prepared, the provision had already been made, and God was way ahead of me. And it's good to know that. On the road, how are we going to move the stone? When they get there, the stone's already removed. Have you not found that to be true in your life and my life? In fact, we have a go-ahead. God, Jesus is going ahead of them into Galilee. God's always ahead of us. Let your worries catch up with that kind of thought. That God is ahead of us, preparing the way, making provision. It's not going to be as bad as you think. But let's think about this discovery for a moment. The thing that should surprise us Although we've seen this throughout the gospel, these women were not expecting the resurrection, right? They're going to anoint the body with spices. Now, Jesus had said on three occasions to his disciples and hinted on other occasions that on the third day he would rise. But there's no thought of that here. And when they get there, instead of rejoicing at the stones rolled away and the body's gone, they're alarmed. They're alarmed by the presence of an angel, and they're alarmed by the proclamation of the angel. He's not here. And you know what? They are reminded that God had done something, that God had raised his son from the dead. The grammar carries this idea, who was raised. It carries the idea of God raising his son. It's a divine passive. The stone was rolled away. God had done that, and this was an act of divine activity, and they were confronted with that reality. Now, the point that you and I don't want to miss, and it's important to make this, and understand this, the stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled away so they could get in to see that Jesus had got out. Because when you see Jesus in his resurrected form, he goes in and out of closed doors, through walls. The resurrected body has that kind of ability to trans through time and space. Mark 24, verse 31 and 36, and John 20, verse 19 shows us that. The stone is rolled away to confirm the great and glorious truth that Jesus is not there, that he's been raised from the dead by his Father, which by implication would mean that death has been defeated, sin has been paid for, Christ's lordship has been affirmed, and he is the first fruits of those who will be raised in a day to come. This is a glorious discovery. Because you see, the Christian faith is a religion of resurrection. Paul tells us that. If Christ be not risen, close the doors, pull down the shutters, time to go home. Because our preaching is hotter, we're still in our sins, our faith is futile, and our suffering has no reward at the end of it. And therefore, we're to be pitied of all men. But we're a religion of resurrection. And these women are confronted with the startling, stunning reality that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. He is not here. He's gone ahead of you. He'll see you in Galilee. Now, the import and the implication of that's massive. Remember who Mark's writing to? He's writing to Roman Christians around the era of Nero. Persecution is now falling on them. Soft persecution is giving way to hard persecution, mockery to murder. Some of them will be fed to the lions, confronted with gladiators in the Colosseum. Others will be sewn into animal skins and doused in fuel and set on fire in Nero's garden. And so 
Mark is writing to them and said, you know, this is what it means to bear the cross. They're suffering for the Christian like the master. But you see, the point of this is he's not here, he's risen. It all doesn't end at the cross. The cross isn't the end of the story. And there's something beyond your cross bearing. And there's hope in the midst of your suffering. Jesus is risen. And we've been born again onto a living hope. It may be Friday from where you sit, but Sunday is coming. It did in Jesus' life, and it will in yours. And that's a wonderful truth. I don't have the ability to do this justice, but there was a famous African-American preacher by the name of S.M. Lockridge. And you want to Google this and YouTube, but you've got to hear him do this. He did this famous message called, It's Friday, but Sundays are coming. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter's is sleeping. Judas is betraying, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter's denying, but they don't know Sunday's are coming. It's Friday. Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scarlet. They crown him with thorns, but they don't know Sunday's coming. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary, his blood dripping, his body stumbling, his spirit burdened. But you see, it's Friday. Sundays are coming. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning and evil's grinning. But I want to tell you, Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Hope is lost. Death is won. Sin is conquered. And Satan's just a laughing. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard and a rock is rolled into place. It's Friday. But it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. And that's Mark's point to the persecuted church. Whatever your Friday, always remember there's a Sunday in the gospel story. He's not here. He's risen. He's at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. He's not here. He's in heaven. And the Spirit of God has come and is indwelling us to strengthen and fortify us. He's in heaven, but someday he's going to stand up and come back and take his church to heaven, to the Father's house where he is. Whatever your Friday, always know there'll be a Sunday in the story. So let's look not only at the devotion, not only at the discovery, And the day, two more things quickly, the directive, verse 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you in the Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. In fact, you go back to Mark 14. Jesus said he will meet them after his resurrection in Galilee. There'll be a rendezvous in Galilee. And so these women who went out of an act of devotion on the first day of the week to the tomb, discovered Jesus was risen, and were given a commission or a directive from the angel. Go tell the disciples and Peter, he'll meet them, rendezvous with them in Galilee. Now, a couple of things quickly on this that I want to just kind of think about with you. Some very practical things I think is very encouraging. The first thing is the singling out of Peter. You can't miss that, right? Because You could read this very easily. Go tell his disciples that he's going before you into Galilee. That would make sense. But why have we got go tell his disciples and Peter? Peter's being singled out. Well, you could make an argument it's because of his leadership. I mean, Peter was kind of the spokesman for the disciples. He's always at the head of the list of disciples in the Gospels. You'll find him kind of on the leading edge of anything that's happening in the Gospels with the disciples. 
But I don't think this is an issue of leadership. This is an issue of Peter's lapse. He failed. He denied the Lord three times. He scampered out into the night like a whipped dog, a defeated soldier. And he's still out there in the night, spiritually speaking, downcast, I've blown it. You know what? I don't know what I'm going to do next. In fact, he says to his friends, hey, let's go back fishing. And that's where he'll actually meet the Lord in John 20. The point I want to just ruminate on for a moment with you is God wasn't finished with Peter. And Peter needed to hear that. Go tell my disciples and Peter. That was a word of forgiveness. That was an invitation of grace. Peter, failure's not final. Have you forgotten that I knew this was going to happen? And I said, you know what? I'm praying that your faith doesn't fail. And when you're restored, you're going to strengthen the brethren. We have a God of the second chance. Amen? And the third chance. I love that verse in Jonah 3, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. That's a prophet on the run. But you can't outrun God's grace. Maybe I'd illustrate it with a story that comes out of the 2009 pennant race between the Philadelphia Phillies and the Washington Nationals. A ball is hit up into the air, and it makes its way into one of the top stands. And it's caught by a man by the name of Steve Montforto, and he catches the ball. Quite a prize, every baseball fan's dream. And he's caught on camera catching it. If you remember this a few years ago, he then hands it to his little girl, Emily, three years old, to hold on to the prize. And she's seen to take the ball and just throw it back over, <laughs> over the stands, back down into the field. And you know, everybody's kind of aghast. And how is he going to react? You know, his little daughter just threw away a national treasure kind of deal. And on the sports cam, he just hugs her. And she puts her head down all embarrassed because the crowd had kind of given their reaction to what she had done. And you can look that up on YouTube. And when you do look it up on YouTube and see that moment, you see a picture of what God is willing to do in the life of his child. When we drop the ball, when we throw away his good gifts, when we spurn his love. You know, he doesn't chastise us. He throws his arms around us and loves us back. It's okay. It's okay, Peter. I'm not condoning your sin. You need to repent of that. You need to do better in the future. But hey, I prayed that your faith wouldn't fail. And I've got something for you to do. It's a wonderful thought. That's Philip DeCourcy here on Know the Truth with a message titled A New Day. Hear this message again when you visit our website at ktt.org. And if you've never contacted the ministry before, we hope you'll do that today. Reach out to us and we'll send you a free CD, a message from Philip called Keep Calm and Carry On. Ask for the free CD message when you call 888-644-8811. At Know the Truth, it's our mission to present clarifying biblical truth through Philip's straightforward expository teaching. Because when we understand the truth of God's Word, life comes into focus and we can see Jesus for who He really is. With that in mind, we hope you'll join us as a financial partner to keep Know the Truth on the air, on the web, and coming to you through the KTT app and podcast. With a monthly donation of $25 or more, you can help send the gospel across the country and around the world. And as one of our Truth Ambassadors, you'll receive special resources like our Accord newsletter, a monthly live video devotional from Philip, and much more. 
Call us at 888-644-8811 or sign up to be a monthly partner online at ktt.org or write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. But however you choose to give today, with a one-time gift or a monthly donation, we'll send you a resource Philip recommends. It's the book titled Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. When we learn to trust God, we can put striving and worry to rest. We'd like to send you this book today, along with our thanks, when you give to the Bible teaching ministry of Know the Truth. Again, call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. And thanks for your support. That's all the time we have today. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Join us again Wednesday for more Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Your story of faith and spiritual growth is important. This is WAVA General Manager Tom Moyer. Here at WAVA, we're very interested in hearing how the radio station has made a direct and positive impact on your life. It's our hope and prayer that what you hear from us positively affects you and your family and circle of influence. It may be an encouraging word on a difficult day or a timely message that addresses a need in your life. We would love for you to tell us how WAVA has influenced your life in the past and is influencing you now. Here's what we're asking you to do. Go to WAVA.com, type in the keyword story, record your video message on a camera or a mobile device, and share your story with us. And for simply sharing your impact story with us, you'll automatically be eligible to win a grand prize of an Apple iPad Pro and an Apple Pencil. You have until October 23rd to share your story, so do it today. Go to WAVA.com, use the keyword story for all the details on how to share your video. Go to WAVA.com, type in the keyword story, and thank you. There are some questions. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.